And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, live on a sunny afternoon in beautiful Memphis, Tennessee, where I have just arrived for a week of ESPN Grizz Mania. There are only 10 to 12 games, depending on the team left in the NBA season. Somehow that happened, which means it's almost awards time, a.k.a. agents yelling at you time, a.k.a. turn off your phone time. And the most interesting set of awards every year are the three all-NBA teams and maybe the most prestigious other than most valuable player. And to help us go through the debates, the dilemmas, the preliminary broad strokes discussion of this, not to make final picks, not to you know put anything in pen. For the first time in a long time, one of my favorite guests, one of the people's favorite guests, ESPN's Kevin Arnovitz. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Always well. I'm not as well. Can I'm not as well as you, or as good as you, or whatever the phrasing is, because I'm I'm just not. But all NBA time is here. Can you believe it? The season's almost over. We got playoff races galore. The Lakers are in tenth. The Warriors might drop to fourth or fifth. The East is in flux. Uh, the Nets have to come through the play, and we're almost there. Parity has come to the NBA. It's like football, Zach. This is what they've always wanted. Although actually, I don't I don't even know if that's true because Phoenix is really good. Phoenix is amazing, and they are going to factor obviously prominently into the All NBA um, conversation. But players, this is the you know everyone last year said well they got pristine health, you know everybody they were the only team to really dodge COVID, and then some stuff happened in the playoffs. Obviously, mostly with Chris Paul. This year they've missed Aiton, they've missed CP, Booker's missed some time. Cam Johnson, who I think is a sneaky both six man of the year and most improved player candidate is it been out now for a couple of weeks and they just keep on for the most part rolling right along. All right, let's get to all NBA. This is going to be a particularly spicy all NBA. I think my first blush through um, candidates was more like candidates in air quotes. I had like 30 to 40 names. This is what I do. I just, I get way too deep into it. I don't want anyone, I'm, I'm paranoid that someone's going to accuse me. You forgot Brandon Ingram. How did you, for, nope, here he is on my notes. He's just not going to make the final cut. Uh, and I whittled that down to like 20, 21 maybe. Then I whittled that down to 18, 18 for 15. Then I whittled that down to 16 and then I started to feel existential pain and terror at the prospect of which of those 16 I was going to leave off. K.A., let's start on the first team and start on the most important um, ballot question, which is, as they were last year and I believe the year before, are Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid going to be eligible at both forward and center as a way to get both of them onto the first team and would you feel comfortable or did you feel comfortable putting them both on the first team in that construct either even though they have played zero minutes at forward so in some ways i wish we had more direction because for instance like i have six guys for the first five spots and which five is a question that's of too whether... many my maths my, my math says that's too many it's a question of what's most important. If it's positional purity, it's one set of five guys. If it's team success, it's another set of five guys. If it's kind of my, quote, best five, it's it's a different set of guys. I feel comfortable putting Jokic and Embiid together on a first team for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is I think they're the two best statistical candidates for all NBA. Secondly is let's look – let's set aside – shape and size of player. If I told you, Zach, there was a player 
through whom you could play in the high post, who would essentially function as the fulcrum of your offense. He can shoot from the outside. He can find any one of four players out of double teams. He is one of the best passers in the game. Um, he's not a conventional post-up guy, though he certainly can do it as a four or five can do it. Like, I think you'd say, yeah, that's an acceptable definition of what a power forward does in the game of basketball. And so I think it's, we, we get fooled that, okay, we look at Jokic and he looks like a center and he is the fifth, he is the fifth smallest guy and first largest guy in the various units he plays in. But functionally, that guy is doing power forward stuff. I mean, he would in the, in the Rick Adelman corner offense, like Chris Webber, like he's doing that thing. Like he functions essentially as a power forward. If you want to go by the conventional definitions of positional basketball, but as we know, there is no positional basketball, Zach. So, you know, I don't want to be one of these guys who lobbies the league. Like, damn, the awards are dumb for this reason, that reason. I'm open for business. Tell me what you want me to do. You know, if you want me to have, you know, I am comfortable that if we fielded a basketball team, Zach, let's name our franchise. Let's place it wherever we want. That if we had Jokic playing the four and MB playing the five, we would be presented with a few defensive challenges, but I'd be okay from an offensive standpoint fielding those two guys together because I don't think they necessarily occupy the same place on the floor. It's funny that you crave direction, Mr. Arnovitz, because I also crave direction. My assumption all year has been, well, if they made them eligible at forward and center last year and I believe the year before, why would they change that this year? But I checked in this morning with the PR staff, the great crack PR staff of the NBA, and I, I mean that sincerely. They do a great job. I said, hey – what, can you just confirm this? Can you can you give me any heads up on where we're heading with the Jokic and Beat issue? And the answer I got was, hey, we're still two to three weeks out. Every season we do this, you know, we're evaluating every player's position and, and or positions. We haven't made any final decisions yet. We will let you know we're unfolding on our normal timetable. And I said, I get that you're evaluating, you know, DeMar DeRozan, who you took flack for making eligible at guard as well as forward for All-Star and Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler. But, like, this is the big one. This is the, – the whole thing flows from this. We either get one of these guys on the first team or both, and I and I just got – wait wait and see. I'm going to assume we have the same positional flexibility. Last year, KA, I, I demurred, and I put Embiid on second team, even though I believe I had him either second or third on, in, in MVP. And he missed enough games last year that I felt – only a little queasy doing that. I I regret that now, and I wish that I had put both him and Jokic on the first team. And so if I have that positional flexibility, I'm going to put Jokic and Embiid both on the first team. Look, here's the bottom line. The three best players in the league by a landslide this season, by any statistical measure, they should go 1-2-3 in MVP on almost everybody's ballot, are Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. I want them all on the first team. Giannis, although he plays a lot of center, I assume will be eligible at forward and maybe only forward. So that gives me Giannis, Jokic, Embiid going that way on the first team. The problem there is I've now got to shift Durant to the second team because I don't have a forward spot left. And I I guess I have to be okay with that because of the games missed, even though he's been maybe the most dominant player in the whole league. And that presents me a dilemma at guard mm -hmm. where LeBron is probably going to be listed at both forward and guard. And so for the first team guard spots, I only got two left now because I used Giannis Jokic Embiid at, at forward, forward, center. I've got LeBron, 
who just, you know, scores 50 every other week just for fun. He literally in some of these games is just like, you know what? We suck. We suck and we're losing. I'm going to take a couple turnaround fadeaways from 22 feet out early in the shot clock just because I like to do this when I'm having a little fun. Sometimes I like to. Remember he did that against the Raptors in the playoffs when they were just clowning the Raptors and he just went into, like, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, turnaround jumper mode. He did that against Washington the other night just because, you know, the team's not very good. So I've got LeBron. I've got Luka, who will be eligible probably at both guard and forward. Steph, Morant, Chris Paul, and on and on. And so I, I guess I would – I assume you agree with me, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. How are you thinking about the guards? Uh, exactly what you said. So I discount team success a little bit, not not entirely. And LeBron James is bananas, and, and I really like bananas. And what he's doing – and again, we can't overstate it. it, it it's, it's one of the great stories. What this guy is doing at 38 – I mean, I mean – Michael Jordan, like the the vaunted Michael Jordan, the the gold standard, at his age, you know, had come back from retirement. You know, he, he's twenty three six and five. You know, a valuable player in in fifty three starts. What LeBron is doing is warrants first team. It's it's not even close for me. He is going to get one of those guard spots. And that leaves me with I've Ooh, narrowed just, it. Just a no. Just, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's it. So that's a no brainer for you. LeBron's going first team. Be, yeah, because even I even though I, he's missed. I, even though he's missed, I mean the, the missing is sort of the problem. Like I, I have he will finish. No, it. The, you know what? I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna retract that. He's played 64 games in 2200 minutes. I'm looking at my big spreadsheet of Schnorps and Vorps and Purs and all this Raptors and Wars and Ipums, and I've got games and minutes on there. He, the missed game shouldn't count. It's the record. It, if you're not gonna right. put LeBron on the first team, and I'm just gonna say this, I don't think it's a lock that he belongs on the first team. I don't even think it's like statistically. A complete lock that he belongs on the first team, but I'm willing to hear your argument because I will say this: the numbers are the numbers, right? Like the guy puts up numbers, but we've seen this before, including in his first season with the Lakers when he was putting up huge numbers, and yet you just know it when you see it. Some guys just compile numbers. James Harden compiled numbers when he might as well have been texting friends during his first 10 games with the Rockets last season while requesting slash demanding a trade. He still put up like, you can look at the numbers, it's like this guy's trying. You know it when you see it with LeBron. He's just in like, I'm in cruise mode. I'm still going to put up numbers because I'm LeBron James. I have the ball all the time and I'm incredible at it. But you know it when you see it. You know the difference between that LeBron and peak LeBron. And, I, and peak LeBron, I think, started the season. I thought his defense early in the season was fantastic. He was peak LeBron. For a while now, he's been in just sort of chill mode, put up numbers LeBron. So please, I I don't have him as a first team lock. I have him as at worst a second team lock, to be clear. And and so to make the case for me that he should be a first team lock. I don't think his number hoarding, if that's what it is, and I'm not sure it is, is depriving teammates of opportunities. it, It doesn't, his cruise control never smacks of selfishness to me. I, I don't think he makes his teammates worse. I think he has worse teammates. And this is a function of that. I, I think in an alternate universe where AD is healthy and you know they don't trade away every bit of depth and glue that they had, we might be having a different conversation. I don't know how to kind of, I don't know how to issue demerits for that to a guy. And, and I just don't think his number stuffing 
is as inelegant as others. Like I, I don't like. I think he's trying to win basketball games. I, I know he's trying to put up numbers. I don't know that the two are mutually exclusive given the composition of that roster right now. And, and so that's it. You know, I, I don't want to say a lock. I, I just it is very hard for me to look at LeBron James. Look at thirty eight and six with as much efficiency as he's had in a few years. Like I just it, it's. I'm not going to say it's a lock. I have two other guys in that spot. I think, you know, look, the game's missed thing is, is a big thing this year. I have Morant and and, uh, and Luca as my final slot. Now, again, give me direction. If you tell me that given that the Lakers are joyless and putrid and boring, that I need to discount LeBron, I'll do that. It, but again, I, I'm looking for direction. Tell me what the criteria is. If, if team success is essential to, at the very least, first team, then, you know, hey, I'll give, I'll do Morant and Doncic and not think twice. But to me, I just think LeBron warrants first team. And you and I've talked about this in the past. It is LeBron. And I know I'm supposed to go with the veil of ignorance and hey, show, you know, I, I don't, I can't, do I factor in a guy's legacy? Do I factor in his contributions to the game, his incumbency in the hall of halls? I do. And in this case I do. And there are few guys in the league for whom I do that. There is a subjective measure there. I understand. Uh, it, it's me as a voter kind of just making an editorial decision. So so I did the same thing last year when I put LeBron on second team. And my reasoning was basically like – and some people didn't have him on. I think I think, it was, I think last year there were some people who didn't even vote him on any LNBA team. And my rationale was he's LeBron James. Like I just – it's stupid to not, to not have him on. Um, you know – I'm surprised you don't have Curry in the Luca Morant LeBron guard tier. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, no, um, and I've got, I've got a good reason. I don't. I don't. I I don't think I I didn't. I I don't think LeBron is hoarding stats. I want to make that clear. Like I don't think it's like you know guys chasing triple doubles or miles. I don't think he does that. I just mean by virtue of who he is, he's always going to put up stats that are going to look amazing, and that's partly his talent, right? It's partly his brilliance. I do think, so to me, you frame it as give me the guidance. Do wins matter, right? Do Does win, does team success matter? And obviously the Lakers around LeBron, particularly with Anthony Davis injured, are just not good. They're not going to win a lot of games. They have too many. I mean, they're playing these lineups that have, in serious basketball games, they're playing lineups that have DJ Augustine, Russell Westbrook, and Avery Bradley in three-guard lineups. It's like, what are we even... What have you been doing here? Like, what's happening? What happened to the Lakers? But I do think it's so. So I don't. It's not team success. I you because you can't hold that against LeBron. Just like you can't hold it against Morant. I I don't think you should hold it against Morant. Really, maybe if you're splitting the teensiest of hairs, that the Grizzlies have a better scoring margin with Morant off the floor, I believe, than on the floor. Same with Dallas and Luca. I don't think you should necessarily hold it against those guys that their teams are good. Like. And, and and you can concoct all sorts of reasons why that would be, but I don't think you should hold against those guys. Those guys are playing the heavy minutes against the opposing starters. The stars are. Those guys are playing the crunch time minutes. But I do think there's also, like, there. it's not winning for me as much as it is stakes. Like, when I watch a Mavericks game right now, I'm like, okay, this team's playing real basketball because this game matters to them. When I watch a Grizzlies game, I say to myself, this looks like a real hard-playing NBA team playing real NBA basketball because the games matter. When I watch the Lakers, again, through no fault of LeBron James, I'm like, this Lakers-Wizards game 
what am I even watching? Like, this is just, it's just not the same level of intensity and stakes. And so I don't know how to weigh all of those things. Give me your reaction to that and your reasoning for Curry as what I assume is a second team uh, pen in semi lock for you and not in the first team discussion. No, and I think you, you speak to something really important, which is just the general subjectivity. That, that, that thing that we can't quantify and there's no vorps or burps to say, hey, minutes of important basketball where this guy is locked in with in a high leverage situation it, with the responsibility of making his already good teammates better. I'm with you. And if you again, if you told me, hey, LeBron hasn't participated in enough meaningful basketball while he's been compiling the stats, I'm cool. Like I, I can put LeBron on the second team if that's the criteria. But I am, and look, if it were anybody else, maybe he would be on the second team. Maybe my subjective appreciation for LeBron as LeBron is giving him a little nudge. And for that matter, if we're looking at Luca and, and Ja three years from now, and whatever it is they're going to produce three years from now, which I imagine will be ungodly, LeBron wouldn't make it. Um, with, with Steph, I'm just kind of pricing in that he's done for the regular season, and if not done, close to done for the regular season. And look, I'm I'm a huge Steph guy. He has, it is not as efficient or productive as a season. Um, and I think when you take into account LeBron and Ja and, and, and Luca, I have I have Curry squarely on my second team. It's just been, and, and by the way, crap Curry is still a great Curry. I mean, it, it seems almost ridiculous to sit here and discount the guy or, or, or critique it, but he's been, and I think it doesn't take a genius to see it. It's He's a little off. There is 15% less Curry this year. It's just, and I don't mean in terms of minutes played. I just think that he's been a little less efficient than normal. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to penalize him for that, but a guy whose true shooting percentage in a healthy season hasn't been below six and a quarter in ages, you know, is, you know, right at 601. And again, that's always been his value, right? Like, you know, the thing that obviously aside from all of just the, the subjective and beautiful basketball he plays, when you kind of make the numeric argument, your eyes pop out at a guy, a guard for God's sakes, who's putting up true shooting percentages you know, north of 65% through much of his prime. And he's at 60. And to me, that gives the nod to, again, Luca and Ja, and also because Steph is essentially done for the regular season, it seems like, uh, or close to it. This is, I'm not reporting news, folks. I just, like, I'm already pricing in that in two weeks, there's not going to be a greater body of work. So here would be my counter to that. Curry has played 64 games to date. As of today, Monday afternoon, Central Time. Luca and Ja are at 56 and 55, I think, respectively. So it's going to be equal even if Curry plays no more games for the rest of the regular season. Their game played is going to be slightly ahead. Well, it's going to be within a small enough margin that I look at it and I just don't care. And as for Curry's shooting percentages... They're almost less relevant to me than they are for other players because it's the shooting percentage, first of all, are totally fine. He's shooting 38% from three on insane volume and insane difficulty. It's it's what we all know that he's just a roving double or triple team if you include eyes. Like the, the number of people looking at him, the number of easy baskets he produces for the Kevon Looney's and Draymond Green's and Jonathan Kaminga's and Andrew Wiggins's of the world. The guys that are just okay players that he makes look much better than they are. 
uh, or that play off of him really well. Let's let's read it more generously. I, I almost ignore the shooting. I, I I don't have anybody penned in to these first two spots. If you put the Nerf gun to my head right now, in the slightest of pencils, like in those in those mechanical pencils where you have to press the eraser to get the pencil to come out, and then it breaks when you write the first freaking letter because they suck. I would probably have Luca and Curry, but I'm fine with LeBron and I'm fine with Morant. You could you could talk me into Chris Paul depending on when he comes back and how many games he gets up to. But right now I would pencil again pencil in Doncic and Curry, but I I'm not I'm not wedded to it by any means. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Can we talk about LeBron for a second? Because you bring up the good point about you, you keep hammering his age. And I think some people could see that and say, well, are we giving him like an NBA senior citizen discount? Like, does he get extra credit because because he's old? And I and I and did you happen to catch Wendy's piece over the weekend when LeBron passed Carl um, Malone for number two all-time in scoring about how LeBron's, LeBron's Jordan argument, LeBron's GOAT argument is going to be – I think more longevity based than maybe LeBron himself would have conceived of it six or seven years ago. Did you read no, that? It was, piece? it was a great argument, really. Like, like, like better for like the best for longer. And, and I think endurance is a huge part of athletics. And look, I would never, you know, you can't hold it against any athlete who suffers an injury through no fault of his own. But I just think that the guy's endurance to Brian's case is just, it's part of it. And, and the answer is, you know what? I might be giving him a little like, the 25 cent cup of coffee along with the grand slam breakfast senior did. I mean, yeah. Okay. You know, and so what I would say, right? Like, like maybe I do. I, I think. Oh no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm not saying right. it's bad. The answer is I probably do. I think that, that when I say incumbency, what I'm probably talking about is your senior citizen discount. I thought Wendy's piece was spot on yeah. when the Lakers won the 2020 title. I wrote a sort of updated goat debate piece. And I thought that title to these eyes, to my eyes, that title brought them. My the point of that piece was that title brought them neck and neck. And what it what it disqualified for me was, yes, LeBron is now four and six in finals. I think by that point, right? Um, what that disqualified to me was 
the Jordan backers. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm not a Jordan backer. I grew up with Jordan. I kind of, I kind of still think he's my number one. You just can't hold up the sign that says six and zero in the finals, and that's a dispositive argument anymore. That's what LeBron has done. And what I wrote in the piece is because of his longevity, a you have to give him credit for making all the finals, like six and zero. Right, but before 6-0, and there were the losses to the Pistons and the Celtics that have become mythologized as not losses, but obstacles on the way to wins. Well, LeBron just sort of accelerated right past that and started getting to the finals when he was a kid, like a relative kid. Um, and 6-0 and also, it, you know, there's this assumption, like you, t- you even talk to some of the former Bulls, and particularly the second three-peat Bulls, and I talked to a lot of them during the last dance because there was no basketball going on. Like, so there's the two Hakeem Olajuwon interregnum championships, right? And sometimes there's this assumption that, oh, the Bulls could have won eight straight championships. And you talk to people with the Bulls and they're like, yeah, I don't know, man. Those Rockets teams were awesome and we were kind of running on fumes. And Steve Kerr has talked about this a lot. Like, Jordan's retirement, like, people wonder, do you get the second three-peat? If Jordan doesn't retire and play baseball for two years, do you get the second three-peat if he doesn't not relax because he wasn't relaxing? If he doesn't save his NBA legs, if he doesn't sort of take the mental break from whatever he was taking a mental break from, do you get a second three-peat? Maybe his record in the finals ends up being seven and three or something that is still awesome, but less like six and oh argument over. And I thought Wendy's piece, it was it was similar in theme to what I wrote in 2020, which is the longevity piece of it has to be taken into account to a large degree and looking forward. And now this is almost two years ago. I wrote like by the end of all this, the statistical case is going to be overwhelming. Like it's not, it's not going to be close on the total cumulative stats between LeBron and Michael. And that's sort of what we're seeing right now. And that's what is going to be a cascade as LeBron keeps playing. Yeah. And, and again, I, these are the really weird subjective measures and I'll probably contradict myself. I mean, you could argue, well, hey, if if LeBron gets a certain consideration, shouldn't Steph at this point? And I think you're probably right. I mean, look, what I'm going to do is I'm we're doing this earlier than we normally do it. I think generally you and I do this kind of the first week in, in April, and and uh, you know the jury's still out. I want to see you know how John Luca finish. Um, but right now I have oh, sure. one of them over. Uh, the one who doesn't uh, qualify in my first team will probably be with Steph on the second team. But I think one of those two guys is going to be my first team. And look, hey, Steph is a roving double team. Luca, what he demands of an opposing defense is, I, I don't know if it's on the same level as Steph, but it might be at this point. That's the thing. You can yell and scream until you're blue in the face about all this stuff and get angry about it. It's like, these are the 15 – we're picking the 15 best guys and right now the five best guys with some positional something. They're all awesome. Like the next two guys on second team are amazing and I would start my franchise with all of them. They're all awesome. By the way, one quick aside. You mentioned stat hoarding, stat chasing. Did you happen to see Sadiq Bay, Sadiq Bay going for 50 uh, I did against not the Magic see that the other night or no, the no. last – That was so the orphan the word, game the that night? Sh- yes. Yes, and of course, like, you just, it's almost mean to the Magic and the Pistons to have them play the only game that happens on the first day of March Madness because 
in you and I have talked about this when we're thinking of like the the conceit of the meaningless game in February that no one cares about. Like I don't care what James Harden does. It blah, blah, blah. it's always against the Magic in February or against the Pistons in February, and then they play. They also are like the Magic were the MVP of the f- opening night of the season having two national TV games and like one league pass game. It was always like magic pacers, magic, somebody, they were always like the third. Anyway. So I, Sadiq Bay, the word shameless was thrown around Twitter because on the last two possessions of the game, Sadiq Bay was gunning for 50 points and the Pistons were helping him gun for 50 points. And at one point he shot over a double team and then they could have run the clock out at the end of the game, and instead they dribbled up as if to score, and the Magic triple-teamed him and tried to get the ball out of his hands and fouled him in the bonus to give him the free throws to put him over 50. I reject, I love the whole thing. I reject the idea that there's anything wrong with even a teensy bit of hijacking of the game late in a game to get 50. And by the way, if you watch the game, you should watch the last five minutes. You'd be surprised how normal it is. Like, he's not going out of his way until the last minute to try to get baskets. He's passing out of double teams. There are possessions where he doesn't touch the ball. There was a possession where they were on the free throw line and they could have put him in as one of the rebounders and they didn't. They had Corey Joseph, I think, as one of the rebounders. Like, just on the off chance, it falls to you, man. Put him under the rim. Like, it was barely, it was, people made it out to be like it was Ricky Davis missing at his own basket. It was like two possessions of gunning for the last three or four points. And by the way, if you're the Magic how about not letting the guy score 50 points? How about not being so crappy on defense that Sadiq Bey is going to put up 50 on you? And the other thing, K.A., the Magic could have run almost the entire game clock out on the last possession, and Cole Anthony shot the ball with 15 seconds on the shot clock and gave him a chance. That's the end of my spiel. I support the Sadiq Bays of the world going for 50. We still talk about the Corey Brewer 50-point game. It might be his only chance to ever get 50. Stop browbeating Sadiq Bey. End of end of story. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm becoming with with age less patient with the unwritten codes. It's a box score. It's there. Go for we fifty. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so we're done with our our first team, and we've certainly hinted at our our second team. I will give you right now, and these are impossible. But I want to just throw the names at you that I have in pencil for second team. John Morant. Chris Paul, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Carl Anthony Towns at center. So that's CP and Ja as the guards, LeBron and Durant at forward. And that's the Durant, like, I don't care about the games missed. I don't care about anything else. He's Kevin Durant. If you want to put him on the first team, like, I don't have a spot for him because of how we did it, but he's amazing. And Cat at second team center, I think a week ago, would have raised eyebrows, and I think now, I I just think it's a no-brainer. I think he's a better basketball player than Rudy Gobert, and he's had a brilliant season, and the Wolves are one of the best stories of the season, and I just think if you asked all 30 GMs, you get one of these guys, Towns or Gobert, to start your franchise with for the next five years, I think 23 of them minimum are taking Towns over Gobert. He's just a a more well-rounded and offensively, they're, it's like they're in different universes. So that's my t- that's like my very not even in pencil second team. you have any reactions to that? And then we can go down to like the sort of larger debates about who gets left off here. Yeah, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is one of my ink picks. Like once I established that Jokic would be at forward, I think he's, for me, an easy choice 
for second team center. And, and I, I don't, I'm not saying that to bag on, on Gobert. I just think the offensive year that Towns has had for a team that frankly is pretty freaking good all of a sudden, um, you know, kind of warrants that place. Now for me, I'm, I have, I have different names just because I've locked myself into the Doncic uh, Morant consolation prize as second team guard along with Curry. So what I have, and this is really excruciating, is I've got three forwards for two second team spots. Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan, Jason Tatum. And again, it's one of these guidances because it seems almost sacrilege not to put Durant. I don't care how many games he's missed. If the answer to the question is, he's been one of the, if not the best player in the league, win healthy. Um, I, I don't know how I leave him off, but if the answer is no, dude, you leave him off because Jason Tatum. No, you, you know you has, don't leave him off. You, right. The answer and, and that, is you don't saying. leave him off. He's and on and the that's, second that's where I'm at. I have him highlighted as one of those two spots, which would then leave DeRozan and Tatum. And I and I'll also add that he, KD is now in the LeBron category where, if you have to ask, he's in. Right, he has reached. There's a certain tenure that a player gets on our ballot. We, we've talked about it with LeBron, and I put Durant squarely in that category, right? Like, there, there's a certain allowance for more missed games for this guy than there would be for another guy, um, which then leaves DeRozan versus Tatum. I think if you asked me two weeks ago, this was easy. It was DeRozan. But DeMar slumped a little bit in the last two weeks while Tatum has led one of the most impressive in-season comebacks as we've seen for what might actually be <gasps> – the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And 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 he's done it, I think, in the best way. Like, he has figured stuff out. I, I, I commend the front office for sort of putting the kinds of complimentary players that I think have been missing in Boston. Um, they've, they've just had that, – that, I love that unit, and which is saying a lot because I was very, very skeptical on Marcus Smart leading uh, as the nominal or even functional point guard in any you know, so Celtics team. But Tatum is like, – I, I, I've got to give Tatum the credit. So what I'm going to do is, to me, that is a too close to call right now. I'm going to watch DeRozan and Tatum down the stretch. If current trajectories continue, it will be Tatum. I want to give DeMar a chance because what he did in February was ungodly as uh, you know as well. And, and look, I, I don't want to go with recency bias. I mean, those were important games for the Bulls. And so that's where I am, Zach. Uh, I've got Durant plus either DeRozan or Tatum. Too close to call. Let's watch the precincts come in from the outlying territories, and we'll see. Oh, I just got – you can't say that kind of stuff. I just got, like, election night PTSD. Please don't do that again. Um, I'd like re- refreshing various state maps over and over again on nytimes.com. Um, don't ever do that again, please. Uh, I'm glad you agree on Cat. I thought Cat might be a debate. I don't think it's going to be debatable. I think Cat is the second team All NBA center. Period. Full stop. That's it. I think he's going to get that. And I, it, depending on, I don't really even know how they do this. Like if Jokic and Embiid get certain votes at center and forward, it's just all too complicated for me. Just make it easy and to put the right people where they should be. The part of the pain of my first and second team construction is that I have to drop Tatum to third team. And I agree with you that Tatum has – this is one of those things where, like, statistically now, Tatum and DeMar – like, Tatum's at 27, 8, and 4 on 44% shooting, 35% from 3, 51% on 2. DeMar is 28, 5, and 5 on 50% shooting, 35% from 3, 52% from 2. 
Um, like, how am I supposed to differentiate that, right? Tatum is a way better defensive player. Crunch time, hilariously, obviously, DeMar has been one of the best crunch time players in the league this year. He's 38 of 74 from the field in the last five minutes of close games. That's ridiculous. Uh, Tatum, if you look at Tatum's crunch time numbers, they're like, they're, the Celtics remain a horrible crunch time team, in part because they never play crunch time anymore. They just blow everybody out. And so these numbers are all like antique early season Boston struggle numbers. Tatum is 27 of 75 in the last five minutes of close games, two of 25 Oof. on threes. And yet, I, and yet I don't care because he's just he's just better than DeMar DeRozan. Like, it, you just know it when you see it. He's a better two-way player than DeMar DeRozan. The advanced numbers are off the charts for Tatum because they're, they're factoring in in various different ways how much of a good defensive player he is. Uh, how how his three point shooting on much higher volume opens the floor for everybody else. So to me, I have Tatum above DeRozan on the forward hierarchy. But because of the way I built my teams, I have to have him on third team. But I agree with you; it's kind of stunning based on how he and the Celtics started the season that Jason Tatum is now an absolute no brainer uh, All NBA, whether he's second or third team. The last feather in his cap is they're plus eight per one hundred possessions um, with Tatum on the floor and Jalen Brown off the floor and about dead even in the opposite minute. So this is really Tatum's team. It's not close. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's it's going to kill me to leave one of those two guys out. You know, it's funny with Tatum is a better defender. He's also just physically a more imposing, longer, bigger guy than than DeRozan. And there's the part of me that, you know, I, I got to sit down with DeMar for a long time, about an hour a few weeks ago, and I, I wrote a recent feature. And, you know, DeMar is like very just – very appealingly candid about the fact he's like, I'm just not athletic anymore. And, and all of this is an accommodation of, of just learning to be crafty and just basically just how trying, I've been thinking the game for the last two years. Cause I have, you know, he compares himself to, to Zach Levine, who of course is just an incredible athlete. And uh, so, so there's always the part of me that he's like, of course Tatum's a better defender. And, you know, I can't not reward it just because he has the physical profile. There will always be a part of me that, you know, because I, I don't think DeRozan's as bad as he was in his early years in Toronto. So I think he's become a serviceable team defender. But then again, this is all NBA and serviceable isn't what we want. We want Jason Tatum doing what Jason Tatum has been doing defensively. I think he's a better defender than he was a year ago. I was always a little late on him defensively. I always thought that, yeah, the physical profile was there and his length helped him a lot. I didn't think he was superlative he was never in the conversation for me for all defense and he is nudging his way there for me and what I've seen the last just two months is a different I guess a different player but just a refinement of a, of a new player let's zoom way out so I mentioned before I had 20 guys then I had 18 guys for 15 spots the last two that I cut mostly because of games and in one case just ridiculously horrible crunch time numbers and again crunch time again I understand all the stats but you can't overreact to a small sample of crunch time makes or misses but this is a single season award I do as you said with LeBron consider sort of career accomplishments and trajectory but like as a tiebreaker or one of there are various tiebreakers that we all weigh equally one of them is like if Crunch time, it matters to the Chicago Bulls that DeMar DeRozan pulled out, I don't know, four wins for them that could have been two wins instead of four, whatever it is. Um, I, I crossed off Bam out of bio, 
because I just don't. I think he's. I also think he's better than Rudy Gobert or about the same at least. But the games played are just not going to be there. And then Jimmy Butler, also games played, minutes played, and his crunch time numbers are abysmal, as all the Heat fans know. And he's not shooting threes anymore. Um, and those are both painful for me. And I think it's a tribute to how good they've been and how good the Heat been that they're in my my final sort of twenty guys. And I can hear the Heat fans saying, "Well, look, I, I don't. How do we not have any?" All NBA guys, we've been number one in the East all season. And look, I get it. I'm the one on ESPN every week being like, can we stop talking about the Nets and start talking about the team that's actually leading the Eastern Conference despite all of their players missing games? Like literally everyone has missed a significant amount of time. I don't really have a good reason except I guess the story of the Heat season is less individual brilliance and more collective brilliance and finding ways to scrounge out wins with your Max Struces and Gabe Vincents and Omer Yurtsevens and all this than it is individual brands. I, I don't know. I don't. I just don't have room for those guys. Do you have room for them? I mean, I guess Butler could make a surge here at the end because his advanced numbers are off the charts. We know what he is defensively. Underrated playmaker is both cutter and passer, but I just, I just don't. I don't think either one's going to make it. No, and we and you know it's interesting because we we forget it's it's been so long in the first couple of months of the season. I mean, Jimmy was part of the quote conversation, and let's not have the conversation about the conversation. But he was, you know, he was starting to assemble what could have been the beginnings of an MVP conversation campaign. Um, you know, so I I have to leave him off. I have Adebayo with with strike through uh, as an honorable mention in my center. You know who I gave a look to was Aiton. Um, I, I think partially in deference to what the Suns have done, um, partially to his growth defensively. You know, it was funny. I was, um, it was like a total geek fest here, but I was looking at sort of, hey, how have Booker and Aiton as a tandem defended the pick and roll? And the answer is pretty freaking well for two guys who I think three years ago we would have said were completely lost as as team defender and scheme defenders. And I, I gave Aiton a look. I mean, at the end of the day, I went Occam's Razor, which is I, you know, Look, Rudy's having Rudy's become more uh, more important offensively to this team as well, and I think that's worth recognizing. And um, so, so Rudy is. Don't my, say it. Don't say it. Don't what? say the banned phrase. You get kicked off the podcast if you say the banned phrase. Don't say it. What what phrase? I'll, I'll let you know if you say it, but you haven't said it yet. You're get you're encroaching on the territory. What are you you're tiptoeing about? toward it. You're tiptoeing toward it. Anyway. Continue. Wait, or, wait. So, oh, I know what you, I know what you hate. You hate what screen assist? Is that the one you hate? I don't, I don't use the podcast that. Now? I don't use that. I don't use. Does it, it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter if he said it in the context of identifying it as the phrase that's banned? Do we not ban him then? Oh, I that's guess right. We, right. I guess we can keep. Wait, it, does it? Does intent matter? Does context matter when saying that? That yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. By the way, that's not why I think he's more important offensively. He's more important offensively because they're running more stuff where he is integral to it. Um, it has nothing to do with that phrase you, that shall not utter its name. Every team that could potentially face the Jazz in the playoffs, if the Jazz want to run more stuff that involves throwing the ball to Rudy Gobert when he doesn't have a territorial advantage, like when it's not a lob or they haven't drawn two on the pick and roll, every team will be like, you go ahead. We're, we're fine with Like the Clippers last season were like, we're going to switch Reggie Jackson onto him. Go ahead and throw him the ball. Yeah, but this we is a regular care. season award. That's all... I get it. I get, I just think Carl Anthony Towns is, is a better player. Of course, Rudy no, and that's right. Is, but that's, in a, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. I put Carl Anthony Towns on my second okay. team. We're talking about third team. No debate. I said it was look, Rudy, decidedly better. Rudy player. Gobert's 
I Rudy think Gobert Rudy Gobert is a better awesome. player this year than Bam Adebayo. And by the way, that team's a little less Bamish offensively. A different conversation for the playoffs. I look forward because I love Miami Heat basketball like you do, and we'll talk about it. But no, I'm, I I have Carl Anthony Towns squarely as second team. I have Gobert slightly ahead of, you know, had Aiton played 10 more games, maybe we'd have a different conversation. Zach, where I'm really having See, trouble, I, man. Can I tell you where I'm really having trouble? Is I've got six. I, can, I know you're going to spoil it. All right. You're going to spoil it for me. I'm going to I'm going to tell everyone we're all having trouble. First okay. of all, respect to Rudy Gobert. The number one item in my 10 things like two or three weeks ago is literally called respect Rudy Gobert because everyone, including his peers, on Rudy Gobert. And by the way, the I was going to say, like, He's what is it awesome. with you? You were drinking coffee out of some Italian machine with this guy like five years ago, and now you're like giving me crap no. that I want to get the no, ball no, 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 to no. him in crunch time against the freaking Phoenix Suns, and I'm a moron. He's He's awesome. He's the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year again. He is a let me say this loudly so the Rudy Gobert stands and maybe Rudy Gobert himself hears it. Rudy Gobert is a Hall of Famer now today. Rudy Gobert retires from basketball today. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's a deserving multi-time All Star and he is the third team All NBA center on my team. I just think, I just think Utah fans and supporters have a blind spot. They've convinced themselves that the fact that the Jazz can't throw him the ball on anything other than a pick-and-roll advantage situation is like a non-issue because of his defense and screen assists. And I'm sorry to say that in the playoffs, it is an issue. That's the only thing that irks me a little bit about the Gobert debate, aside from the negative stuff. He's my third-team center. So here's where you're going to just be just just destroyed. Here's where your brain broke. If I put Gobert on the third team and Tatum on the third team, I've got three spots left. And for me, it was a different for for you than for you. I've got three spots left for Devin Booker, Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan, and Donovan Mitchell. And if you want to throw Harden on there, no, did, the you put, wait, guy, did you put CP? Fine. Did you put CP on your second team? See, yeah, C, CP and Morant are locks okay. for me. Gotcha. Right now, they're almost locks for me. Whether they're second or third team, I think they've got to be on the All-NBA team somewhere. Particularly, Morant should be a lock somewhere. And so, though, that with, with them in, I've got these last three spots left. Guard, guard, forward. For Booker, Trey, DeRozan, and Donovan Mitchell. And someone out of those four, it's just, there's just no way... There's just no good argument for excluding any of them at the expense of the other, really. You can pick on tr- the, the Hawks' record. You can pick on Mitchell's defense. You can uh, as a, you can use Booker's clutch numbers to back him. But and I and you can if you want to sell me that Harden belongs in this debate or somebody else. And, and believe me, I looked at Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and I crossed them all off to get to this point. If you want to sell me that Harden belongs too, I, I'll listen. I just. His numbers actually just aren't uh, – there aren't any better or worse than any of these guys in terms of advanced numbers and his raw numbers other than an assists are actually worse. His shooting percentages are bad. And I just think, like, if you sort of sulk your way out of a situation, I just think you lose a little single-season All-NBA cachet. If you just decide, like, I don't want to be on this team, I'm going to stop gonna stop giving my everything to you, I just think it, it, it matters to me. So I had three spots for four guards – Slash forwards in DeRozan's case, Booker, Trey, DeRozan, Mitchell, and 
we can argue it till the cows come home. I know which way I'm like even like leaning five degrees, but I am assuming this is the this is my version of the six person dilemma that you were talking about. So how is it framed on your ballot? So it's actually even worse for my ballot because I've already used DeRozan. I have a forward spot and correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, Chris Paul will not be eligible, nor the, uh, nor will Trey Young. I is Devin Booker. Hey, look, will Devin if, Booker- if if Nicole if Nicole if Nicole Jokic is eligible forward, like why not? But yes, I okay. No, no, that's the question. The that. question is 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 Devin Booker or Donovan Mitchell eligible at forward? Because if it's not, I, I'm looking at I, I, I'm looking at Sabonis because I don't have another. I have two guard spots for who I think are Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, I've seen enough. I I've always been a little late on Booker. Um, as you and I have talked about in previous years, the advanced numbers haven't loved him in, in the past. Defensively, he wasn't well-rated. Um, what this guy has done in the absence of Chris Paul, what he's been asked to do offensively, when I talk to people in Phoenix on the coaching staff about just his journey the last couple of years, I know that's narrative and it shouldn't necessarily matter, but I think you know a guy's a, a total recommitment and reorientation professionally. Not that he was ever not, but he was in an environment that didn't didn't encourage it. Um, I've seen enough, and, and Devin Booker's on that team. The question for me becomes Trey Young, and here's my general view on all NBA in considering defense. I think there are, and Gobert is certainly in this conversation. There are, there are players at the at either extreme of the defensive spectrum where you do have to consider it as part of an all NBA. I, I think the middle 75, 80%. We can hem and haul Tatum versus DeRozan. Maybe in that case, it's an absolute tiebreaker. It's relevant. But I think Trey, that's a problem for his team. And, and not just this season. It's going to be a problem for that franchise. Um, if he is, I, I've heard he's grown. I watch the games. If he has, I, maybe there are fewer kind of early hardened moments where you can't do the Benny Hill reel anymore. But it's a problem. And... I just, I can't, in a situation where I've got this quality and depth of players, where I'm looking at Donovan Mitchell, where Chris Paul, Devin Booker, frankly, I'd love to give Fred Van Vliet and and, and Drew Holiday a closer look. They did get scratched off just because of the greatness of the other players. But I'm probably, I'm going CP and Booker with huge apologies to Donovan Mitchell, and can we get him to play the three? Otherwise, i got to go with Sabonis at the forward spot because I have no more there, there are no more guard spots, and I can't. If I can move Booker or Mitchell, then I'll move them. But if I can't, I'm looking at Sabonis, who, by the way, has had a very nice year under very weird circumstances. But I just don't have any more spots. I've lost track of who's where guard forward wise for your team. I do think if Sabonis is involved, something needs to be tweaked to get Sabonis not involved. Like, Sabonis is awesome. He's been. Uh, like my fourth or fifth center on this exercise every year. I just generally, if you get traded to the Kings, I just, it's just, it's a purple flag. I just don't, I don't know if you can be on the all NBA discussion if you get traded to the right. Kings. So I just so would have to my, be this. My, the bus, I would have to drop LeBron from the first team, put him second team forward, drop both Tatum and DeRozan to third team, which would open up that's another what I've guard done. spot. Should I do that? That's the, I mean, you can do whatever you want. That's that's my ballot. That's okay. you have you just described my ballot. So the the two third team locks for me are Tatum at one forward spot and Gobert at center. By the way, Devin Booker has played a fair amount of, of three 
with Shamit and Campaign as the nominal one and two. I mean, you can count Shamit as the three, I guess, they're height-wise, give or take, but Booker's a stouter. He's more, to me, the quote-unquote three in that alignment. So with Gobert and Tatum locked in, that gives me those three spots guard, guard, forward for those four guys. And look, I'll read you the stats, K.A., because God knows I I got no idea what to do. Trey Young, 28 Nine and a half assists, four rebounds on 46% shooting, 38% from three. That's high for him. 50% from two. As you said, the advanced numbers are like huge offense, just horrible defense. Like what? Like the advanced numbers all paint Trey Young as basically the worst defense player in the NBA. And I do think having your game so heavily skewed one way or another, as you said, has interesting implications for both team building and this discussion, which we can get into if you want. Donovan Mitchell, as I said before, 26, five and a half, four, uh, five and a half rebounds, four assists, 45% shooting, 36% on threes, 53.5% on twos. They are plus six and a half for 100 possessions when he plays without Gobert. Booker, 26, five and five, basically the same as Mitchell. 46 overall, 38% from three, small edge for him in threes, 50% on two, bigger edge for Mitchell in twos. Booker without Chris Paul, Suns plus nine per 100 possessions. Crunch time, Booker, last five minutes of close games, 24 of 44 overall, eight of 21 on threes, plus 70, that's fourth in the NBA. By the way, the whole top 10 is Suns, basically. Donovan Mitchell, last five minutes of close games, 27 of 72, so like 35%, six of 27 on threes. Do you care? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Um, DeRozan, we, we read his crunch time numbers before. Trey Young's crunch time numbers are just okay. I don't really know how you're supposed to differentiate between any of these players. I do know that I think a lot of people are going to come to the conclusion you just did, where it's just like, look, if it's Trey, Booker, Mitchell, the numbers are, you know, you can make the numerical argument any way you want. I, I, I just maybe I want to go with the better two-way players. Booker has made a, a Booker to me is a better defender now than Mitchell. Both of them are way yes. better defenders than Trey Young. Um, I, I I think people are going to say twenty-nine. Man, it's hard to it's hard to argue twenty-eight points, nine and a half assists. It's hard to ignore that. Like I get it. I don't know which way I'm going. I right now have DeRozan as the other forward on the third team. If Booker is eligible at forward or Mitchell is eligible at forward, this becomes an even more interesting conversation because it raises the possibility, like, does DeMar DeRozan get shafted on some of these ballots Ooh, after there was a whole conversation tough, about man. him being – I'm just saying, it being an MVP, I don't think so. Like I said, I have him as my, as my third team forward along with Tatum right now. This is just a really, really hard um, – a really, really hard conversation. And I will conclude and, and pivot back to you by saying this. I think Booker's got to be on because I just think rarely do I use this reasoning as a as a trump card, but I do think it's okay to look at this season and how it has played out and how far ahead the Suns are of everybody else and say this team deserves two guys. Like as as one of the five tiebreakers, that one feels good to me. Maybe it's less persuasive to you, but when you're 10 games ahead of everybody else and you've been dominant with one of the two guards all season long because they both missed a little bit here and there, I just think you get two. I think that's how it works, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am too. I, I think, again, I, I tend to probably put less in team success 
the median NBA voter. But I think, yeah, the exception is when you're nine freeing games ahead of everybody else. Nine. I don't think this is not baseball. It is really hard to be nine games ahead of the field in the NBA, particularly, as you said, like all of many of their key guys have missed serious time. And so that's where I'm at. So I've got your advice here, which you're saying, even if it means doing what I don't want to do, which is dropping LeBron from the first team. If it means accommodating Donovan Mitchell in lieu of Sabonis, I need to do it, is what you're saying. That it's not even about LeBron at that point. It is about curating the best team. The best three teams. I don't tell I don't tell people how to raise their children. I don't tell I don't people have how to children, do their all though. NBA ballots. I'm just saying if we if I just I just think Sabonis just feels like a name that shouldn't be in this level of discussion in this particular season. It just, um, but it's, it's one of those weird things as a just, voter where I feel weird, like that, that somehow Sabonis's non-qualification somehow like LeBron James's presence on my ballot is being affected because Sabonis isn't good enough. Like, like why should Sabonis affect where, where, where LeBron is? And, and the answer is, is you're right, probably. Like, this is a curation. This is not a perfect science. We're not putting the best. If they ask for the best 15 guys, I know it's easy. What we have to do is curate, which is kind of weird, but also kind of fun. Here's the bottom line. I mentioned at the top that I whittled it down to 16 guys for 15 spots. I think what's going to happen is that one of Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell is going to be guy number 16 when this is all said and done and the ballots are out, I think one of those guys is going to miss the All-NBA teams, and it's going to be a furor of angst and anger and how could this be. And I get it. They're both deserving. I just think when I sit down and look at the names, again, there are 15. I just think it's going to come down to Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell for the last All-NBA spot. Any way you slice it to me, those are the names at the end. Because I think DeRozan... He's going to make it and and is deserving. As by the way, all Trey is deserving and Mitchell's deserving and Booker's deserving. But I think Demar built up so much sort of MVP, first team All NBA goodwill before this sort of bull slide. And Demar himself has kind of slid a little bit in the last two or three weeks. I just think he sort of has locked himself into a lot of ballots, and that's fine. I just look at this, and it's like it's like looking at one of those magic eye things, and you can look at it and stare at it and change your angle and change your like widen your eyes and blink a lot of times. One of Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell is going to be mad, I think, at the end of this. I, I just that's the way it looks to me. Do you, do you disagree? Yeah, I mean, the one thing is is that I think you and I reside in CP land. Um, will I, I think the team success? Good. He's the wild card. Right. In other words, I, I think when you start getting into the, quote, guys who miss time, particularly the guys who miss time late, because I do think it's just natural that there's recency bias when you're filling out your ballot. Um, anybody, I mean, you just always have to check yourself and forget that, hey, the games in November count as much as the games in, in March and April. Uh, you know, I know different people have different thresholds for qualification. And if he hasn't played in a month, uh, and also, I mean, look, I, CP's amazing. His, his numbers aren't gaudy this year, right? Like, they're just not. And so depends I could. You, it depends which ones you look at, right? He's leading the league in assists. The advanced stats continue to love him. Right. It, but you, what you're saying is 15 points a game or 14 points a game, whatever it is, 33% on threes. Like he's he, that, that kind of stuff has fallen off. 
but he's shooting the, the hell of it on twos. We know what he is defensively and as a distributor. And I do think he's coming back pretty soon. So he's going to finish. He's at 58 games right now. I think let's say he finishes with 67 or something like that. I I, I think he's coming back soon, and that's all, that's enough. Yeah. So to be clear, he's a lock on my ballot. What I'm saying is I can imagine another voter looking if you lined up Trey Young and Chris Paul, and you know you were somebody who for whom wait one guy is averaging literally double the other guy. I can imagine certain voters looking at those two lines and saying. Uh, you know, hey, h- how do you put this guy ahead of that guy? Just to be clear, CP is a lock on my ballot. He's not like he will, he is, he's going to make my ballot. Um, I imagine though that there are other, he's just that kind of player. We read the crunch time numbers of everybody else. We might as well do it with Chris Paul out of fairness, one of the great crunch time players in basketball history. In the last five minutes of games with the score within five points, 22 of 39 from the field, <laughs> that's 56%. Four of 10 on threes, 23 of 29 at the line. 28 assists, five turnovers, 28 assists, five turnovers. I'll repeat that ratio. Plus 99, number one in the NBA. Next is Mikhail Bridges at plus 80, so a 19-point gap. Next is Spencer Dinwiddie butting into the conversation at plus 79. Then Devin Booker and Jay Crowder at four and five. Aiton is eight. It's just like if you play for the Suns, this is the story of your season, and that's driven by Paul and Booker in equal weights. So if I just, out of fairness, we read all the crunch time numbers, both good and bad. I thought we should just sort of, it's everyone knows Chris Paul's crunch time. Dominus might as well read, read out his numbers. I think he's got to be on there, particularly if he comes back in the next two or three games and gets to that sort of quorum of games or whatever. I just think he's got to be on there. But you're right. I'm glad you brought him up because – I do think for some segment of the voters and some segment of the fans, they'll look at the scoring numbers and, and, and raise, I think, fair questions. Like, like these guys are averaging 10 more points a game. That That is indicative to some degree of the burden they carry. I think his edge in assists, he's going to lead the league in assists again, I think for the fifth time in his career. That's also indicative of a, a different kind of burden and, and a stat that isn't as sexy as points. The assist title doesn't get a tenth of the uh, print or online coverage, <laughs> we don't live in a print world anymore, uh, of the scoring title. But it's a title, too, you know? Yeah. And and the Trey heads, though, might say, hey, Trey Young's assist percentage is actually higher than Chris Paul's. Again, I am not a Trey head because I th- I put him in the category of players. I have to consider their defensive contribution or lack thereof. But I it, it's good. what I'm saying is it's going to be – I'm really curious to see how the votes break for those, those last guard positions because I think they're going to be really telling about conventional wisdom. I still think – Look, someone, whether it's Trey Young or Donovan Mitchell or Chris Paul or DeMar DeRozan or Jason Tatum, like one of these last names, and God forbid if Harden somehow steals a spot, which I don't think will happen, I don't think he will. that would make it two. But one of these names is going to be justifiably upset. Their hardcore fans are going to be justifiably upset. And I, I just, I'm sorry that there's no other solution. I just, it, it, I can't expand the ballot to 16. This is where it is. And I, I do think it's going to come down to those names. These are hard, man. I, it's, it's fun. It's fun for us. It's awkward because some people, as Jason Tatum have talked about, have money involved. And that's, I just don't think that should be. I, I don't know another way to do the Supermax. That's a discussion for another day. I mean, I have ideas. I, I don't think our vote should determine anyone's money. That's ridiculous. But but it's a, it's a tough exercise, man. All NBA is no fun. Uh, it was fun with you, though. Kevin Artovitz, it's always good to see you. It's always good to have you. Um, 
on the podcast. I'm going to get some Memphis food recommendations from you when we get off offline because I need to eat well while I'm down here. Any, I'm eating outdoors, so I'm just trying to be safe. But K.A., it's always good to see you. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you down the line. Thanks for your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.